Good morning, church, and welcome again to those of you who are visiting, visiting us for the first time. There are going to be two readings today. The first is going to be taken from uh, Leviticus chapter 14, and the second one from Matthew chapter 8. I will start with Leviticus, so if you can turn to Leviticus chapter 14, we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 20. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall be brought... Uh, sorry, just hold on a minute. Um, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them, Take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water. And he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand 
The priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Now, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry, Brent, we had you reading in the dark because you look so much smarter than me. No, wonderful to have God's word um, read for us. Um, we are back in Matthew in our series, which is really, really exciting. I'm really, really excited about this passage, but we need God's help. So let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, speak through your Holy Spirit now. Lord, would you change us through this? Would you make us more convinced of the Lord Jesus? Or for those of us that aren't convinced this morning, would you change that and bring people into your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's something that we're all doing now, right now, that we would have never done a short time ago. You see, even as you sit there in your seat, I don't know if you even realize this, but you're actually at da- you're in danger of death. You are literally in danger of death. You're sitting next to somebody who could probably kill you. You're sitting next to somebody. I can see a couple of you kind of looking, thinking, is it you? Is it you? You're literally sitting next to someone who could be the most dangerous person to you that you've ever met in your life. Somebody that could cause you harm. Somebody that could could give you something that could actually lead to intense suffering and ultimately could lead to death. At any moment, the person that is just around you could give you death. Well, that's why for the longest time, isn't it, we we wore masks. We didn't shake hands, we, we kind of elbow bumped instead. It's why we didn't go into one another's houses. It's why we we kind of stayed two meters away from each other. It's why we didn't hug and and kiss and spend time in each other's homes. It's why when we we met up, we had to make sure that we met outside, even if it was freezing cold. We didn't come to church. 
We, we only went once pretty much a week to, to the shops. We certainly wouldn't go to, to the cinema or, or to sporting events or to, to go to the theatre. We certainly wouldn't be sitting next to one another as, as we are now, would we? Some people would double mask. Some people would put on those massive water containers on their head. Some people would put hazmat suits on. Some people, you'd give them something and out would come the anti-back and they'd be spraying it and literally showering it in anti-back. I remember seeing one guy in Asda walk the wrong way down an aisle and see, see the arrow on the floor and, and instead of turning around, started reversing because he was so scared of seeing people and going the wrong way. Well, how times have changed in a, in a good way, I'm sure. But we appreciate, don't we, that each of us could have been killers Another person could have something inside of them that could cause us to be ill beyond belief and to potentially even die. COVID changed our perception of this world completely. And actually, in many ways, this has happened throughout history. Spanish flu, smallpox. But, but we have, have probably lived in a world where we haven't seen this in the same way. And we've moved on very quickly, which, which is good in a sense. But in some way, I want to take us back. I want to take us back to how we felt at that time, when in many ways we, we probably didn't trust people in some senses, where, where we'd hold people at arm's length. Because in our passage today, we're going to see somebody, somebody who is, who is highly, highly contagious, and in their body contains something that could kill other people. So I want us to remember how we felt at that time. And I want us, more importantly, to see how Jesus deals with this situation. You see, this isn't just an interesting little feel-good story. This isn't just some kind of fable. No, instead, this story teaches us both the most important thing that we could ever know and something that is as relevant as it was 2,000 years ago as it is today. It teaches us also about ourselves. It teaches us about ourselves. Confused? Well, you'll just have to listen to the rest of the sermon as we go through this incredible, incredible text. First off, in verses 1 and 2, we, we see the unclean. You see, in verse 1, immediately we're, we're given the context. Now, I know that we've taken a little break, that we went into Habakkuk and we had a little break, but, but we're back in Matthew now. We're back in our series in Matthew, and, and as we find Jesus coming down the mountains, it should hopefully remind us of that last section that we did in Matthew. That last section where we look at, looked at Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus, in many ways, was teaching about his kingdom. What it meant to, to be part of his kingdom. Just as, in many ways, Liz Trust has set out her kind of manifesto, and even King Charles recently has set out how he plans to be king, so Jesus set out what it looks like to be in his kingdom. He sits, he stands, and he preaches to people. And in many senses, what he's saying seems so radical, but it also seems so true. And, and more and more people are gathering around him. More and more people want to know what he has to say. More and more people are seeing that what he says can lead to true life. And actually, even before that, if we go back even further to Matthew 4, we see that at the start of his ministry, before the Sermon in the Mount, Jesus has started to heal people. He started to heal the sick. He started to do all these miracles, and then he gives his kingdom manifesto. And as he's done all this, not surprisingly in many ways, he's created and he's gathered a crowd. 
A crowd of people have been following him. They've, they've seen the miracles. They've heard the teaching and they've gathered around him. They're following him. And Matthew, in, in many ways, is really helpful to us as he's writing this. He, he's an expert writer. You see, he's given us in verse 4 this little introduction to how Jesus heals people, which is wonderful. And then he sectioned us out, the Sermon on the Mount. But we see very clearly that we're coming to a different section here in Matthew. You see, we've, we've changed scenes. Jesus is now coming down from the mountain. And in many ways, we're asking the question, well, what is next? And we get to see what is next. And it's actually a great problem. It's a man with leprosy. And the reason it is a problem is because leprosy was a horrendous disease. You see, it was a, this kind of chronic infectious disease. It, it spread all across the body and it brought sores, it brought nerve endings. It ultimately could lead to death because it affects the body so much and it can spread through the body. There's, there's examples of people not being able to feel fingers and, and their nose and of rats literally biting them off. I know that's disgusting, but I want us to see how vile this was. In many ways, when I was uh, thinking about this this week, I, I looked at some pictures of people who had leprosy. And I'll be honest, I honestly couldn't put that on the screen behind us. Because in many ways, it, it's, it's sickening, it's vile what can happen to a person as their flesh is eating away at them. And because it affects the body so much, and because it could spread so easily, it meant, and it has meant, that throughout the history of the human race, people that face leprosy have been ostracized by their communities and by their families. Because today, although we can treat leprosy, back throughout history, it, it couldn't be treated easily. And it meant that you were a danger not only to yourself as your body ate away at itself, but you're also a danger to other people. That you also could very, very easily pass this on to others. Spurgeon says this. He speaks about this man who had leprosy. He knew that now, at last, he'd come to the last stage of his illness. For Luke describes him as full of leprosy. He'd come to the final stage. And the disease was conspicuous upon him. His skin was foul and his joints were rotting. Very likely his fingers, his teeth and his hair were gone soon. He soon must die. You see, in many ways, this man was part of the walking dead. He was going to die. Everything about him would have, would have seemed horrendous to us. And there's two, two main things that happen to people when they get leprosy. First of all, there's this social uncleanness. You see, people were, were so scared of catching leprosy that they would flee away from the person that had it. There was no way that you'd want to get close to someone with leprosy. It'd be more than two meters for sure. You see, some people in history have, have even known to have, have kind of thrown a noose over people and dragged them in and pronounced a funeral over them because they were so sure that that person was going to die. But what they would certainly do is keep them as far away as possible. If, if we were living in these days and a leper walked through that door, every single person in this building would jump up and run through these doors. There would be pandemonium. We wouldn't want to get close to them. You think when we, when we had COVID, you think we saw people retreating from others. This is nothing like that. The way that people would have treated lepers would have been that they would have fled from them. 
Elder Hubert this week was telling me about a man that he'd seen with leprosy when he was in Nigeria. And, and he literally described him as this. He said he was ostracized. He said people wouldn't go near him. I remember when I went over to Thailand on holiday once and I was walking along the streets and I looked down and I don't know if it was leprosy, but I saw a man with horrendous skin disease and I literally recoiled away. Had it not been for, for the mopeds and the, and the bikes going across the road, I would have run across the road. Because this, this disease looked so, so disgusting, so disturbing to me. There was no way I wanted to get even close to him. I was fearful for, for the next half a day that in some way it, it could have maybe caught on to me. I tried hard not to make it obvious, but it, but it just it felt so shocking. It felt so disgusting. There was, there was this this real idea that I didn't want to go anywhere close to this person. Imagine what it had been like for this man. Imagine waking up one morning and looking down and just seeing the smallest of sores. The smallest of sores and thinking and praying, I hope this isn't it. And, and trying to just, just kind of cover it up and go on with your day feeling the kind of itch, but, but making sure that nobody saw it, of kind of itching throughout the day, but not wanting to look, and looking later on in the day and seeing that it's spread, and almost not wanting to, to, to actually face the reality, trying to, to, to kind of hide it from your friends, trying to hide it from those closest to you, trying to keep it, keep it covered, but feeling the itch come more and more and more as it comes and it spreads through your body, having eventually to go to the priest to check if this was indeed infectious, to actually have to face that reality. And not only to have to face that reality, but to immediately have to act on it. Because exactly at that moment, as soon as that pronouncement happened, life changed completely. There was no going to say bye to your wife and to hug her and to hold her. There was no going up to your kids and ruffling their hair and, 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 and bending down to give them a hug. There was no going up to your work colleagues and, and shaking their hand and saying thank you for your service. There was no going to, to see your friends and entering into their house and explaining what happened. There was no going around to your neighbours and, and giving them some, some of your food that was left over before you went. No, instead, at that very moment this man would have had to remove himself from all of society. As soon as that pronouncement was upon him, the whole of society would have fled. His family, his friends, his work colleagues, his neighbours would have all removed themselves from him. You see, he'd gone from, from being someone they loved to being a ticking time bomb, to somebody that was like a nuclear reactor that they didn't even want to get close to. You see, as he walked through the streets, the streets that he used to walk and say hello to people and, and smile to people. I know we don't do that in British culture, but smile to people. He now would have been looked upon in disgust. You see, probably the only thing that would have stopped the spit actually going onto him as people spat at him was the fact that they were so far away from him because they didn't want to get close. The horrible words that would have been said, the children that would have maybe gone close to him would have been grabbed back to make sure that they didn't get anywhere near him. This man had been completely ostracized from all of society, from those that he loved. Just picture that for a moment. 
Just picture, imagine that I took you right now at this very, very instance, no warning, no time to prepare, and I picked you out of this place and I said, you have to go. You can't even say bye to your loved ones because we've got people in hazmat suits outside the building and we've got a van and we're putting you in it and we're driving you out to the country and you are to stay there. And there is no way that you can say, you can say anything to anybody. You just have to leave. And, and as you try to get part of society, as you maybe creep into the local towns, everyone closes their doors and they hide from you. They want nothing to do with you. And you're there in pain and sickness, but you've been entirely rejected. You see, there's some sense that actually the, the things that people did to, to kind of remove themselves from people is logical, right? Just as in COVID, it wouldn't make sense for me to go up to Malachi as he's coughing and kind of get in his face and let him cough all over me. It'd be utterly ridiculous, right? I don't want to catch COVID, so I want to, I want to separate myself from people. Now, people obviously went too far, but, but there was something that was right about this. And we saw that from our reading in Leviticus 14. You see, God commands people who have leprosy to, to leave the camp because he cares about his people. He doesn't want these contagious diseases spreading around them. But actually, people go too far. You see, we care about ourselves so much that we ostracize those who seem unclean and dirty in society. But also, apart from this man's social uncleanness, he was also ritually unclean. You see, this man wouldn't have been able to, to go around people, and he certainly, therefore, wouldn't have been able to go to the temple. He wouldn't have been able to go and be able to offer sacrifices for his sin to the priests. He wouldn't have been able to enter into God's presence and to worship with other people in our own kind of contemporary situation, he wouldn't have been able to join us in church. He'd been cut off both socially, but also ritually. He was physically and he was ritually unclean, ostracized from both society and God's people. But he recognizes that in Jesus he has hope. Look at verse 2. He knelt down before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, this amazing response, he, in many ways, he recognizes, he recognizes who Jesus is. Just a side point, I've been watching, I've literally just had it on sometimes for hours on end on TV, the amount of people that have gone to see Queen Elizabeth. Every single person queuing for literally like 1,000 hours just to kind of walk in and, and, and walk up and, and kind of bow and do a cross. Now, in some ways, I'm taking the mick of that, but in some ways, I understand that we are reverent before the queen who died. But you see, there'll be one day that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. There'll be one day that people won't have to queue for 10,000 hours, but that every person will see him in his glory and will bow to him. You see, this man has understood that. You see, he's understood his condition. How could he not? And his response is to bow to Jesus and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, he's heard the news of Jesus, which we've read if we flick back to chapter 4. We've seen that he's, he's started to heal people. And that's why he humbly approaches Jesus. You see the wording, if you will, you can. He, he appreciates both that this is Jesus' decision, but that Jesus can do this. 
And it leaves us with a question, doesn't it? Well, what is the perfect son of God going to do in this moment? Well, look at verse 3. You see, there's no waiting, there's no wavering, there's no questions, there's no counting the cost. Jesus acts. You see, a hand comes out, and what are we expecting? Are we expecting Jesus to point him away and say, go away? Are we expecting him to, to try and push him back? Are we expecting him able, maybe even to hit him? But instead, what does he do? He goes down, and he literally goes down to this man who's on the floor kneeling, and he puts out his hand. He puts out his hand to this man who'd been ostracized from all of the community that he knew. This man who was probably on the floor at this point, and everybody else was fleeing away and recoiling. People were looking down on him, maybe even spitting. And Jesus gets down, he reaches out his hand, and he touches him. He touches the man who has probably not been touched since he had to leave, since he was pronounced as unclean. You see, the perfect son of God who was standing up and who had never sinned gets down into the dirt and he puts his hand out and he touches this man. Perfect hands that had never sinned put themselves onto this man's sores and onto his scabs and onto his scars and onto everything that is unclean about him. And Jesus doesn't recoil, but he just reaches and he puts his hand on him. He puts his hand on to this man. Look at the beauty of that in verse 3. Do you not see the beauty in that? Of the perfect son of God putting his hand onto him. Think back to when I spoke about that man in Thailand. I tell you what, I wouldn't have touched him. There was no way at all that I had wanted to go anywhere near him. I was too scared of catching what he had. I was too worried that I could become disfigured like him. I cared too much about myself. I was repulsed. I was weak. And yet the Son of God, the perfect one who'd never known sin, reaches out to touch scarred and disfigured flesh, to touch sores. Now, I understand at this point, if, if some of you are thinking, yes, well, well, that's great, mate. Jesus seems really moral. That's a really lovely thing for him to do. But there are examples of that throughout history, right? We see those images of Princess Diana reaching out and touching the boy with AIDS. We see Mother Teresa touching people. There may be even people here in the congregation who, who do things for people whose, whose physical uh, disfigurement we would be repulsed by, but they care for them. We've seen throughout history those that would, would reach out to people and to care for them. So is Jesus really any different to them? Well, Jesus is different. Because you see, not only is he the perfect son of God who's without sin, reaching down to touch humans, the son of God who's fully God and fully man, he stretches out his hand to touch what's been riddled with sin, even though he has no sin in himself. But also, unlike Florence Nightingale and unlike Princess Diana, the Lord Jesus has power to heal. The Lord Jesus has power to heal. And you see, there's no delay. There's no waiting for the antibiotics to settle in. There's no more tests to go and take done. There's no more go and go and have some rest bites and come back later. What happens immediately at that moment, this man is healed. The work is finished once and for all. You see, the effects would have been massive, wouldn't they? Scarred, scarred skin, now fresh. 
sores now disappeared from discomfort to comfort, from itching to indifference. And the social change from an outsider to an insider, from ostracized to accepted. Those that would have avoided him can now speak to him. His family are now able to be with him. His loved ones are able to hold him. He can have the touch of those who were closest to him. Maybe he had a wife, maybe he had kids. The warmth of a hug, the tenderness of a touch and a kiss. Imagine not being able to experience that and then suddenly having all of that open to you. You see, the interesting thing as well is that Jesus didn't even have to touch him. We, we read through the Gospels and we see, and we'll see this coming up, a little spoiler alert, Jesus can do miracles when he isn't even with the person, let alone he can just look at them and, and speak them to be well. But what does he do here? He stretches out his hand and he touches him, saying, be clean. Now, in many ways, we could stop here. What a wonderful story. How encouraging, you know, let's go out into our week with, with a good kind of feeling in, in our stomach. But no, there is something that is far more important that we have to see in verse 4. You see, Jesus has, has healed this man's social uncleanness, his physical uncleanness, but there's something even more important. Look at verse 4 of me. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You see, Jesus speaks about the more important thing that he's done here. You see, he's cleansed this man's ritual uncleanness. You remember I said earlier this man had two problems? This kind of physical, social problem over here, but also this ritual problem that he couldn't go to the temple, that he couldn't meet with God, that he couldn't make sacrifice for his sins. But now Jesus has healed him and he can go and do that. He can go to the priest and he can be pronounced clean. You see, Jesus sends him to the priest purposely. He sends him so that, that he can be officially integrated back in society, of course, but so that he can be pronounced clean. And there's something that that is even greater in pointing to. And in many ways, it's helpful for us to, to look back to the Old Testament to see that. You might have wondered, as, as Brent was doing that reading, squinting because we hadn't turned the lights on yet, why on earth are we reading Leviticus? Well, you see, what happened in the Old Testament was that when someone had finally been cured of their leprosy, if it naturally had healed, they were to go to the priest, to the one who, who represented them before God. And if they were actually clean, if they had naturally been healed, which would have been amazing in itself, well, they'd have that opportunity to be pronounced clean. If you can flick back, Malachi, to Leviticus 14, verse 3, we see these words. The priest shall go out of the camp. Then look at verse 5. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds. Verse 6. And dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who has been cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into an open field. Verse 13, and he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. You see, Jesus was healing this man of his physical needs because he clearly had them. And Jesus clearly cared about them because he is compassionate. But Jesus hadn't just come to heal you see, that's why he tells the man not to spread this. Because he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to become some famous figure that's just famous for healing. But instead, there's something far more important and profound going on here. You see, the man's leprosy points to his greater need. You see, there is something like leprosy. 
There's something that clings to each of us. Something that damages and scars us beyond belief. There's something that causes our nerves to die. There's something that causes us separation from other people. And that is sin. You see, part of the reason that God gave the Israelites this law that lepers should remove themselves from society was, yes, for their good, but it was to point them to the fact that they were spiritually also unclean. That they had this greater problem even than their physical needs. They had this problem of being unclean, of being sinful. You see, our sin is just like leprosy. It's contagious. Not only is it spread through every single human in the history of this universe, but if you spend any time around someone, you, in a sense, will be stained by their sin. Spend any time around me, even a few moments, and you'll have to bear with my sin, my unloving attitudes, my impatience, my selfishness, my lack of wisdom. You see, our sin is disgusting. You see, if you could see me in all of my sin, you would be repulsed by me. If you could see my spiritual state and how sinful I am, you'd run away as quickly as you could. You wouldn't stand the sight of me, let alone want me to be standing up here speaking to you. If you could truly see yours, you'd be repulsed. If you could truly see yourself in your sin, all of your actions, all the things that you've done and nobody don't knows about, all the things that you fought in your head, every single thing that has gone in your, on in your life, if you could truly see your spiritual sense of sin, then you'd be repulsed. But most importantly, our sin separates us from God because God is a holy God and therefore he can't tolerate sin. He can't tolerate those who hate him and mock him, who turn away from his commands, who turn away from him and don't want to worship him, who take his gifts but reject the giver. You see, our sin to God makes us like lepers. It separates, it creates a chasm between us. And yet, Although in our sin and in my sin, if you saw me, you would be repulsed by me. The last thing that you'd ever want to do, if you could truly see what I'm like, if, and I'm being completely honest with you now, this isn't false humility or any pretense. If you could truly see what I'm like, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. The last thing you'd want to do would be to reach out your hand to me and touch me. And yet, remember Leviticus, verse 3, the priest went out of the camp to see the leper. You see, there's one who went outside the camp because they're the great high priest. One who left heaven and came down to become a man who went outside the camp for us. Remember verse 5, 6 and 13 from Leviticus. There was one who also was sacrificed for us. Like the birds and the lamb, there was one who was killed for us so that we might be saved from our sin. Just like the blood of the bird that they are dipped in, there was one who we can be dipped in his blood and be made clean. There's one that we can, be, can pronounce as clean and go free. You see, Jesus took on our sin. He took on our leprosy. As he touched the man himself, he actually became richly unclean himself. But on the cross, he actually became sin for us. You see, he reached out his hand and he took out our stench. He took on our regret. He took on our wickedness. He took on our rejection, our bitterness, our sores and our scars. And he bore it on the cross for us. Do you see, this is everything that the Old Testament was pointing to. This is what Jesus was fulfilling. It's what he'd come to do. Yes, he'd come to, to heal the sick and to, to help the oppressed. But the biggest thing that he'd come to was to deal with this problem of sin. This thing that had separated us from God. We see we're lepers in God's sight. And he can't approach us because he is holy. 
But yet through the perfect son of God, Jesus, coming to earth, he takes on our sin. You see, the priests in the Old Testament had to keep doing these rituals and really, in a sense, could only pronounce whether someone was clean or unclean. The great high priest can make you clean and can do it once and for all. And that should change our lives. See, for those of us who are Christians and we already believe this gospel message, we, we need to do a couple of things, I think. First of all, recognize. I think we need to recognize our sin. We need to remember that actually we, we aren't good people in and of ourselves. That we spiritually are lepers and spiritually and in our natural state, our sin separates us completely from God. In our own natural state, we, we can never come close to God. And we should never pretend that we are perfect. We should never put on this social media facade that everything's going well and that, that we, we're actually kind of good people. We should be honest with both ourselves and with others and before God that spiritually we are lepers. We recognize the ways that we, that we reject God, but also in that we are able to recognize how amazing the gospel is and how amazing it is that God can take a sinful leper and can save them through the Lord Jesus. And that should take us to the foot of the cross as we say thank you to Jesus. But also, I think, as much as we are to recognize our leprosy, our sin, we also are to remember that we are clean. You see, I'm sure there's many people right now who are Christians already, but really struggle with this idea because they feel that they are unclean. But the beauty of Christ's work is that if you have been saved by him, in God's eyes you now are clean. And yes, that doesn't mean that you can continue in your sin and that you should continue in your sin, but you are declared clean by God. And some of us just need to hear that and to be encouraged by that. To, to have ourselves taken from the ground and to be raised up a little bit. Not in our own strength or for pride, but raised up because that is what Jesus does in making us clean. You've been divorced? Well, if you're a Christian, then you are clean. If you've got same-sex attraction... Well, in Jesus, you are clean. If you are single, in Jesus, you are clean. If you remember your past sin, in Jesus, you are clean. If you've been abused, in Jesus, you are clean. If you're struggling with money, then in Jesus, you are clean. If you're struggling with the way that you look, in Jesus, you are clean. If you're self-harming, in Jesus, you are clean. If you're anorexic or overweight or depressed or struggling with some particular sin or not even feeling worthy of sitting in the seat that you are right now, in Jesus, you are clean if you are a Christian. Hallelujah. And we need to hear that. And we need to tell one another that. We need to encourage one another that. that. Not in some kind of self-help book that we see on the top ten in W.H. Smith that actually doesn't give us any joy ultimately and doesn't give us any truth, but the truth of the gospel. That we are clean through Jesus. And also we are to respond. So we recognize our leprosy. We remember that we are clean, but we respond by loving others. As a church, let us never be a church that turn away anybody. Let us never be a church that sees people sitting and, and doesn't want to go over to them because we think that they are unclean and they're not worthy of our time. Let us be a church that wants to go out into Stockwell and to speak to people who are maybe homeless or to speak to people who have problems or to speak to people that the world doesn't seem as attractive, to speak to people that the world ostracizes and looks down upon. To be around them because the Lord Jesus was the one who'd put his hand on a leper and say, I am willing. So therefore, we should also be willing, right?
we recognize our spiritual leprosy, our sin. We remember that we are clean and we respond by loving others. But finally, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I wonder, do you, do you want to be made clean? And this is for, for all of us in many ways. All of us as we struggle with sin, there's this palpable feeling, isn't there? And I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know right now as I say it, hopefully if you're still awake and you're paying attention, that as I speak about that sin or that past thing that's happened in your life, it will come into your head. The last thing you'd want is it to be played on there or for anyone else to know. But there is something that's in each and every one of your heads right now. There's things that you regret. Maybe you did them decades ago. Maybe you did them a couple of hours ago. Maybe you did them last night. There are things that you regret, things that make you feel dirty. You see, when we sin, very often we can feel this sense of being dirty, can't we? This sense that we want to shower. For many of us, we actually physically shower because we, we feel that we want to, to get this, this thing off us. Or maybe we try loads and loads of good works. You know, okay, I've sinned and I, and I feel dirty, but, but if I can just maybe help with charity a little bit, or maybe I can just care for this person more, or maybe I can just build myself up, I'll, I'll be able to wipe these stains off me. What do we find? The shower never works, both physically and metaphorically. Because we're still faced with the fact that we are stained and scarred by our regrets and our sin. If you're not a Christian this morning, if your past mistakes and failures are things that you are aware of and things that you wish that you could be taken away, actually you probably don't even know the half of it. Because even the bad things that you do, you haven't even seen the true effects that they've had on other people. And you certainly haven't seen the effect that they've had on you rejecting God. But you have an opportunity here. Each one of us has an opportunity to come to the cross and to trust in the Lord Jesus and to be made clean. To go to him in our stink and in our sores and in all of the pain that we've had and we've caused and that we've faced in our life. And see the Lord Jesus who says, I am willing, be clean. And you can even do that this morning. There's no better time. You can come up to me, you can come up to Yannick, you can speak to the person you're with. And even this morning say, I want to be made clean. And the way that you can do that, we'll look at verse 2. The leper who went up to Jesus and said, Lord, if, you're, if you will... You can make me clean. How does Jesus respond? Well, he responds here by saying, I will be clean. But ultimately, he responded by going to the cross and taking on our sin and our shame, dying in our place, so that we truly could be made clean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we see here in, in this story 2,000 years ago something that in some senses we see as so different to our society today, but something that is as important and as relevant as anything could be in this life for us. Lord, I pray that if there is somebody here, if there are multiple people here who are not yet following you, that they would be aware of their sin and the stain on their life, that they would see the joy with this opportunity to have that wiped clean by the Lord Jesus. And that even this morning that they would come up to somebody and that they would say, I want to become a Christian, I want to be made clean. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians already, 
Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We pray that you'd help us to recognize our leprosy, to recognize our sin. Help us to be honest about that in our lives. But Lord, help us also to remember that in Christ we are clean, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us to therefore go and respond, to be those that look to the cross, to be those that love one another, to be those that ultimately remember that on the cross, Jesus Christ took our sins, that we might be clean. In Jesus' name.